Uh, tonight we're going to be in Psalms 52. Uh, Psalms 52 is, uh, I guess it's be considered David's account or David uh, talking about the account that took place in 1 Samuel 21-22. Uh, uh, if you remember, uh, David went and uh, he went before Amalek and uh, told him that he was on a secret mission uh, from Saul and being on that secret mission, uh, he was needing some supplies. So uh, Amalek, you know, he was fearful when he seen David and questioned David about it. He thought that he was on a mission from the king, from Saul. Uh, he didn't realize that David was on the run from Saul based on what David told him. Um, and he inquired to David, well, how come, basically, how come you don't have any supplies and where's the men with you? And David said, well, I've got some men, but they're, they're off somewhere else. At least that part, David told, was the truth. Um, so he ended up giving him the showbread, you know, that Jesus uh, referenced uh, in Mark when he was talking to the Pharisees about when his, uh, when his disciples came through and took the grain. They said they did that on the Sabbath, and he referred back to... Um, uh, David and a uh, priest giving him the showbread. So he gives the so Amalek gives him provisions, and uh, he also gives him Goliath's uh, Goliath's sword. You know Goliath that David uh, slew. He gives him his sword, gives him the provisions that he need. But in this process, the uh, Saul's uh, chief herdsman or shepherd says he was detained there. Uh, now whether uh, this is uh, Doeg. He was uh, the Edomite. He was detained there. Doesn't say what he was. Maybe he had committed, done something that made him unclean, and he was waiting uh, to for that process to take place. Um, there could have been a lot of different reasons he was there, detained, because he wasn't a very good person. But he was there, and he he took the account of what went on between David and Amalek and the supplies that he gave him. But and so as David fled. One thing uh, 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 Doeg didn't do is, I, I don't believe from the text of 1 Samuel 21-22 and what we can see here, I don't think he went right then to tell Saul about it. I think he waited for, his, uh, for a moment that would benefit him the most. Well, that moment came along, and that moment was when Saul gathered all of them together and he was saying, listen, you didn't do this for me. Uh, uh, when you know Jesse's son is running wild doing this, if he was king, he wouldn't do this for you. This for you. he was kind of telling them, you know, uh, basically saying, y'all, y'all bunch of sorry servants. You're you're not looking out for me as king. You know, you're thinking about David. There's individuals, you know, with David. So I think uh, Doeg seen his opportunity there. So he spoke up to Saul and he said, Well, as a matter of fact, I I did see something. What I seen was uh, Amalek, the priest. Helped David, gave him provisions. Now, here's the thing about this situation. What David had said to the priest was, basically all of it was a lie. What Doeg is saying to Saul is basically all the truth, but it's the reasons they do each one. What he's telling them is basically the truth. He's putting his own spin on it to say, you know, he didn't say, well, Amalek thought he was doing this for you and uh, David deceived him and all this. He didn't say that. He said, they're helping, basically what he's saying, they're helping David. So he, he put his own spin, his own malicious spin to it. So Saul calls the, the priest there 
And as he calls them there, he questions them. And, and, and uh, Amalek, I think, is surprised because he didn't realize David wasn't there because of the king. Well, Saul gets mad because he says, you're helping David, you're giving him provisions, you're doing this. And he tells his soldiers, he says, you kill them. Kill all of them, there are 85 of them, you kill them. Well, they wouldn't do it. They didn't think it was right to do it. So he went, turned to uh, Doeg, said, you kill them, and he killed them. He killed all 85, and actually in Nob there, uh, he killed everything. You know, he went on a, a killing frenzy, if you will. So this, you're, we're dealing with a pretty malicious person here. We're dealing with someone who is, is mean, he's spiteful, he's, he's waiting for his own moment to, to shine here, and because of it, individuals were slaughtered, innocent individuals. That's what David here is talking about in this psalm. This is the story that he's recounting, and he's talking about how, how awful and wicked Doeg is, and he does uh, actually in Psalms, or not in Psalms, in First uh, Samuel, I guess it's over in chapter 22, where David does take some uh, recognition of what he did. When he was told that, uh, that the priests were slaughtered, David says, well, they're slaughtered because of what I told them. So he, he takes some accountability for it uh, uh, to the extent of, okay, if I hadn't done that, then here... You know, they may have been alive, but here's David's recount of, of what took place. It's a pretty horrific event uh, that took place. Uh, innocent uh, individuals were slaughtered because of it, but that's just how wicked uh, this individual is. So let's look here, uh, starting at verse 1. Uh, it says, Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? Talking about Doeg here. It says, The goodness of God endures continually. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor working deceitful. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. Salah. You love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. So as, as David is describing him here, notice a couple things to start with. He starts with, why do you boast in evil? You know, why do you boast about this? And he's not talking about, I don't believe, in the research that I've done and different scholars with certain Hebrew words that David's using here. It's not just he's boasting or bragging about what he's done. He, within himself, is pretty smug and pretty uh, uh, bold and thinking, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm, I, I'm untouchable, almost, as it were. I, it's about not just him bragging about who he is, it's just who he himself thinks he is. He, he actually thinks that he did some great thing here. He thinks he's some great person. He's boasting about this, this evil thing. He says, why do you boast in evil, almighty man? Uh, some versions render this old man, a, a man of hero, a hero man. And it's got a question mark, and it's not just because uh, why are you boasting asking a question, it's almost some sarcasm here. Oh, you mighty man, how great you are that you slaughtered these innocent priests who never even picked up a sword. You know, if you look, think about uh, Amalek, when David asked, do you, do you have any weapon? He said, here uh, uh, is this sword of Goliath over here in the cloth. He didn't go even pick it up and give it to David. Were the priests the ones that went out for battle? Were they the ones that went out and fought? I mean, think about it. How hard would it be to slaughter a priest? What are they going to do to defend themselves, you know? 
Well, they couldn't there in front of Saul anyway. It was an execution. But you think about this sarcasm, I think, that David's using here. Oh, oh mighty man. He's saying, oh, you, you boast that you're some great person, but look what you have to do to make yourself feel good, to make yourself feel mighty, to make yourself feel big. Look at this that you've done. And it's not that he just did this evil thing of, of getting them murdered. It's the timing and the reason for it. He could have run, and David knew. David said, uh, as a matter of fact, when he was told they were killed, he said, I knew uh, Doeg would go and tell Saul. But from the story, it, it's a, it seems like it's apparent that he didn't just run and tell Saul right then. He waited for an, uh, just the right moment that was going to make him look good or, or step in and kind of save the day and look good to the king, and that was his moment. That's when he did that. That's what makes him so evil. That's, that's what makes him so um, just this person of, uh, well, it just calls him evil. And he says here, I think in a, I, I don't, I, now, granted, was he a mighty man in Saul's entourage? He was a head herdsman. He was over the servant. So he, he had a, I guess, a mighty position, you would say. But I think the way that David's referencing here is, Oh, you mighty man. Look, look, I guess that just makes you feel good about that. I guess that just makes you feel like you're somebody that you were able to do this. So this is just how David uh, is explaining it here. He says, the goodness of God endures continually. So he, he's making a contrast here. He says, okay, you, you're boasting about evil. And he goes on and he starts talking about exactly who he is and what he's doing. But he says, I want you to know God's goodness uh, the goodness of God endures continually. So why do you think he interjects that here in the middle of, or just at the beginning of, talking about such a wicked person? Why do you think? Think it's important during all of that that you remember how good God is? That His goodness is continually, even during bad events. Now we might want to ask ourselves, and I'll be honest, I ask myself this question when, when I read it, you know, anytime I've read it, especially when I'm studying here, why did God allow that? You know, when Jesus references to the Pharisees, did he say, you know, David shouldn't have lied. David, yeah, David, you know, took the showbread, but, and he, he defended that, but he could have said, but David lied and got 85 men slaughtered because of it, 85 priests, and then everyone else. Why didn't he reference that to how horrible that was? Does that lie at David's feet? think it does it kind of seems to me it does and David recognized that you know you think about some of the decisions that David made it's cost some individuals their lives hadn't it you think of uh, Uriah him trying to cover up his sin Uriah and the soldiers that with him cost them their lives you think about uh, Uzzah with the ark what's the reason Uzzah died that was David's fault they shouldn't have been carrying it on the cart they should have been carrying it the way that uh, uh, that God said for him to carry it, and Uzzah wouldn't have never touched it to start with. But the result's still the same. They died. Uriah died. The soldiers died with Uriah. Uzzah died. These priests died. All of this because of David. Now, we can defend David in some way, especially here with the priest, and say, did the end justify the means? Did he... Why did he do it, and does it seem that God allowed it and thought it was okay? Why did God allow the priest 
his, his, his anointed there to die because of it. You know, you start putting these things together, we could go to a lot of things. Why did, he want, why did he allow Job to suffer and have that conversation with Satan? Why did he do this? It really comes back to God's a sovereign God. That Sometimes it, things aren't, don't seem fair, don't seem right, but we can't see the whole picture of things. We, we can't see the whole plan as it's laid out. But one thing we can see within those plans, okay, God may allow this to happen, but we, I think it teaches us several things. It's going to teach us this lesson about how wicked uh, Doeg is, but it's also going to teach us we've got to be careful and aware of the things that we do because it affects those around us. You know, we, we may think it may seem like something simple. Even David, even David admitted himself in, uh, in uh, chapter 22 of 1 Samuel, he said, I knew Doag was going to go to Saul. So if he knew that, what did he think was going to happen? But you think about that. What if David didn't get those provisions? How important were those provisions? How important was that bloodline of David? How important was it for David to stay alive? You know, when we start putting it in those terms, you almost look, well, was it more important than those, those, the priest's life? You know, in our picture, it doesn't seem like it. But in the big picture, how does it work out? You know, God knows the beginning from the end. Now, you can get into predestination. Did God cause that to happen, or did God, foreknowledge, know it's going to happen? And does God use the things that's happening for his benefit? Yeah. That's the category I think we need to, to think about. It's kind of hard for me to, to wrap my mind around these things when we start trying to analyze, well, why did it have to happen this way? Why did it have to happen this way? Well, we start looking at things that happen in our lives, and we think, okay, this was a tragic event, but this tragic event may have led to this. We don't know it. We didn't know the, the, the blessing that could be in it. We didn't know how this was going to turn out. There's just a lot of things that... That just goes unanswered. But when you look at this story on the surface and you see how David here is describing uh, uh, Doeg, you see he calls him evil. He said, you're boasting. He, uh, he, he's talking about, and even David talks about the end. He, he kind of gives himself a, uh, he says, here's what I'm doing. Here's how I am. Here's how the righteous is compared to the wicked. It, it almost seemed like David's not taking any responsibility for this. But there's a lot we don't know within it, do we? You know, with Psalms 51, the previous chapter that we just read, was some of that repentance that we uh, attribute to Bathsheba and, and Uriah, was some of that just David's repentance in general, that here, here I've, I've made some bad decisions in my life. I've, I've done some things that, that, that wasn't right. But you think about this situation that even Jesus referenced, um, it wasn't by coincidence it wasn't by coincidence that they happened to go, Jesus and his disciples were going through uh, out there and they, they, they brushed their hands over and take some of the wheat to eat because they were hungry and happened to be on the Sabbath and that situation happened. You think that just happened up on Jesus and he thought, I wonder what I'm going to say here. You think he already knew that was what was going to take place? Well, that wouldn't have took place if this hadn't have took place. So you, you start seeing these things. It doesn't help our understanding to the point where it just looks horrible to us. But we can see these things played out. Any thoughts about this? This is a kind of a complex story, if you will. So, something I think about is that, you know, ultimately, God, when he took the test of 
Yeah, you look at, God has always made sure that individuals knows the decision he makes and what he does. One, it's from God. You know, you can look at, on Mount Carmel and see that, how, how, how it went against the, the, the prophets of Baal, that God left no doubt that that was him uh, doing that. So God always makes sure we know it. But you look on the other end of that, and Titus makes a good point, you look on the other end of that to the, the extent of, Okay, for Saul to for God to do what needs to be done when it comes to Saul and David, there's no better way to put it. Saul needs to dig his own grave here, and God, knowing that Saul's going to do that, this is all part. The blame relies on Saul, not God. This is Saul's hardness of his heart. This is Saul's rebellion against God. This is Saul turning his back on. What, what he should be doing, this is just part of it. Now, envy's taken over, jealousy's taken over. He, he, just, he, won't, he can't get David, so he's going to get anybody that he possibly can that has anything to do with him. So this is Saul's rage here, helped by this wicked, evil man that's part of Saul's entourage, part of his, his command, his chief uh, herdsman. So it, it just goes to show how bad Saul is but he's so bad, look at the people that he's got around him, you know, in his close, uh, that close cabinet, if you will. Now, the soldiers here that's here that Saul said, you know, kill these, they knew better. I, I, we're, I, we're not, they even went against Saul. They could have lost their lives because they disobeyed what the king said. But Saul himself, th this is what gets me. This is what I read out of this when I started reading and thinking about it. Saul, as is, is, is awful as he's getting about what he's doing, he, di he didn't question the fact that the soldiers didn't do it. Because Saul knew it was wrong. He, he knew the order that he gave was wrong, but then he turned to the man he knew would do it. He knew how wicked Doag was, I believe. He, he knew, okay, I, I'm going to put this for him, because he doesn't do anything about it. What king doesn't do something about his soldiers not obeying his orders? So Saul knows it's not right, but he knows the man that's going to do it. And that's what David is referring to here. David is talking about how wicked this individual was. It's not just about him killing these priests. This man was wicked already. This is just showing it. And it shows the people that Saul has close to him that he knew would do it. It's Saul's order, but it's the wicked one here that's doing it. And all this is kind of playing out now where you can truly see who these individuals are. And, and it's a very interesting story as you start. You know, you might read the story and think, well, that, that's pretty horrible. But as, you, as we have the benefit of Scripture, as we start studying in different places and studying through, we have the benefit of start putting these pieces together and we can say, okay, here's, you know, as they say, evil's uh, uh, raised its, its evil head. It's, it's finally got to where you can see it. And these are things that happen where God puts them out there and says, okay, I'm showing my, my works through this way. I'm good, but I'm showing my works here that I'm, I'm letting them show how evil they are.
before my wrath comes upon them. As he said many times, their cup of wrath's not full yet. God waits till that cup of wrath gets full. He waits till there's no doubt that this is... And he's done this to, to cities. Remember, he, he waited on the uh, Amorites because of what they did to Israel as they come out. And he waited and waited till that cup of wrath was full, and then he took his vengeance out on them. So, or his wrath on them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah, he didn't want to do it himself. And he was well capable. He was a man of war. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, he, he's got his, and, and, and you're just seeing this, and, and, and notice, he wouldn't like that to the people from the beginning, you know. There, there's a lot of things transpired, but God is letting this play out so we can see when, especially when David takes over, and how this is going to be, because that's how wicked he is, you know. Um, again, it's a very, very, it's a tragic story, but a very interesting story to, to play out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you start looking at it. Yeah, you start looking at it. Yeah, David, did David lie to the priest? Yeah, he did. There's no getting around that. David even admits that. But that don't change the fact that Saul was wicked to begin with. That don't change the fact that anybody David come in contact with was, was going to die. Matter of fact, when one of the priests, I guess the son actually stayed, he must have stayed behind when Saul called, the, called them all over there to him because... Uh, he, he actually escaped and actually told David, and David told him, well, basically he said, well, you're a dead man just like I am too. You need to stay with me to be safe. So Saul was going to kill anybody that had anything to do with, with David so he could do no wrong. But what's David going to do? Starve to death? You know, what, what is he? Uh, and you start thinking, well, is there ever justifiable lying? <laughs> you know, um, you look at Abraham. Abraham lied about Sarah being his sister. Was he, was he, was that a half-truth? That was a half-truth, wasn't it? You know, of, of what he said about it, but he was fearing for his life, and luckily God intervened there. But you, you see different situations where faithful men were put in situations to where it, it doesn't make it right or wrong. It doesn't make it that God approves of it, but you start seeing these how these things play out. One, you see where when man starts making his own decision and, and goes away from God, and don't fully trust in God, you see consequences of that. And we see that even throughout David's life, especially through Saul's life, uh, uh, as far as his kingship. So you, you start seeing these things. But you, then you got Doag here right in the middle of this, just, you know, I, I just see him as this little minion that just, he's just waiting to do whatever he can to, to make himself look better in the eyes of Saul and maybe... Uh, the soldiers, he could look at them and say, I don't care to kill them, I'll kill them. Well, how hard is that? He, David calls him, you mighty man. How hard is it to kill a priest? You know, you're, you're, here you are, and look at what they're supposed to be doing. How hard could it really be? But if it makes you feel like a big man, then I guess it did. But here it goes on to describe him as, as he is. Verse 2, your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor working deceitful. You love evil more than good. 
lying, lying rather than speaking righteousness. You love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. So he starts showing who he really is. He said, your speech can tell it. You, you just love devising destruction. You're, you, you're like a sharp razor. You're, uh, you love evil more than good. So what's coming out of his mouth? You know, the Bible tells us, so a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. That's what we're seeing with Doag here. We're seeing truly how evil he is uh, with his words. In James chapter 3, beginning at verse 6, notice it says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body, sets on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast, bird, or reptile creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind but no one can tame the tongue. It's unruly evil, full of deadly poison with its blessing. You know, when he's describing the tongue, look how much damage the tongue has done. Man can't tame it. You know, you, you look at what Doag did here. The things that he said were true. Wasn't some of the things uh, that Satan said in the garden true? Wasn't some of the things that Satan said to Jesus true? Even quoted scripture. But it's how he used those words. It's how Doag used these words. You know, there's a lot that he could have added to that that I think could have helped the situation. But he just said, you know, the priest gave David provisions. Well, there's a lot else that he left out of that that could have helped, but he didn't. So he loved evil more than he does good. He loves these destructive words. He's like a sharp razor. And it's, that's one thing. When you say something, here's the thing about it. Can you unsay it? Can the person unhear it? You can ask forgiveness, you can repent, you can move on, but you can't unsay it and you can't, the person can't unhear it. So no matter what it is, that, that's what's so deadly about the tongue is once it's said, you, you, can't, you can't do anything about it. Now, you can go on like it never was, that you never said these evil things or someone didn't say this evil uh, something to you. You can go on and say, okay, they repented, they changed, but you can't unhear it. That's the thing. You, you can't go back and unsay it. You know, this, uh, uh, I was talking yesterday and my mom was there and we were just kind of talking and uh, we were saying just different things and something was said about the mouth and she's like, yep. That's what got you in trouble most of the time is your mouth, you know. And it still does. I, I still, I guess, hadn't learned <laughs> too much. I'm just older and kind of, it's on different things now <laughs> than it was when I was a kid. But, you know, I, I really respect individuals when you talk to them and, and they, they're sitting there and they're thinking about what they're going to say. You know, I don't do that, <laughs> unfortunately. I, now, I think about it after I said it and think, you know, I should have said that a different way or I could have put it this way. I just say it. You know, once it's here, I, I just say it. And I think, why don't you just stop for a minute and think about what you're about to say? How, how's this person going to proceed? Because so, that's the thing, too. Our, our tongue is, is, we may say it, but are we in control how a person hears it? No, we're not. So should we be aware of that? You ever said something and someone take it different than you mean it? I've done that. I've said something. Someone's took it different. Someone said something, say, says things to me that I've took different than what they mean. But it's the same way. You can't undo that. You can't, 
you know, you can't help how somebody perceives it, and you can't help sometimes how you perceive it, so we have to be careful with our words. Um, who said to Oh, oh, wait. <laughs> You know, a wise man told me one time, he said, if you really want to know how a person truly is, just watch them listen to them for a while. They'll reveal themselves after a while. And that's true, because out of the abundance heart man speaketh, so a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. You know, you, you watch a person and listen to a person, you, you'll know how they are. And that's how David is describing him. How does he know that? You know, he sees that, he's heard that, he, he's, he's been a part of that. He, he's seen that destruction that these words can, can have. Lying rather than speaking righteousness. You love all devouring words. You deceitful tongue. He's calling him the whole shebang. You're, you're who your tongue is. You, you're what you say. You're, 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 you're the evil that's coming out of your mouth. That, that's who you are, he says. And as, as he says here, that's what happens when it comes to the tongue. He says, uh, who have been made in the substitute of God, out of the same mouth proceed his blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. He says, out of the same mouth you're going to do this or do this. He said, it's going to show who you are. And that's what happened here to Doag. It's, it's truly showing um, who he is. And it says he loves evil. Notice also here, starting in verse 5. He said, God shall likewise destroy you forever, he shall take you away, pluck you out of your dwelling place, uproot you from the land of the living. He says, The righteous also shall see the fear and shall laugh at him, saying, Here is the man who did not make, uh, make God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. Now here it tells truly who he is and how he got there. And he says, Here's how he got there, that he didn't, trust in, uh, didn't make God his strength, he trusted in his own riches and uh, strengthened himself in his wickedness. So he didn't trust in God as his strength. He trusted in himself. And when you start trusting in yourself, then what happens? It, you, you become this, that person and you start thinking. Remember he started out saying, you know, you, you were a boastful person. So to himself, he thinks he's this big person anyway. That he's just this, this mighty man. And he says, you start thinking about yourself, your strengths in yourself, then that kind of thought, that kind of wickedness, guess what that leads to? It leads to actions. And here the actions were the slaying of these innocent people. So it's just a progression of who, who you are. But notice what he says here. There, there's a couple things to me that's interesting. He says, God shall likewise destroy you. He's contrasting, okay, here's who you are. You're not trusting in God, but here's what God's going to do and can do. He's going to destroy you. He's, he's going to take you away. He's going to pluck you out of your dwelling place, uproot you from the land of the living. In other words, he's going to call your hand on this, and he's going to grab you, and he's going to uproot you, and he's going to destroy you. Now, you can rebel against God all you want to, but this is what he's going to do. But notice here what he says. And he says, The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. Why doesn't the wicked see this in fear? Why does he say the righteous do? Is this something, a learning thing for the righteous too? The wicked see it, but the wicked don't learn from it. If I'm a wicked person, I may see this happen, but I won't learn nothing from it. It don't mean anything to me. I'm still going to live any way that I want to live anyway. 
But to the righteous, they see this, they see this wicked person, and notice what it says. It says, and shall laugh at him. Uh, some versions say laugh over him. In other words, it seems like to me there's a little sense of vindication there. Yeah, you, you're this evil person, and this is what you're doing to individuals, but this is what God's going to do to you. We're going to laugh because you're not going to last. You think you're this great person, but you're not. The righteous is just going to laugh about it and say, you thought you were this, but you're not. In other words, who gets the last laugh? <laughs> you know, it, it's a little bit here of, and I tell you, and I guess that says something about me, I, I love when you see things like this. You, you see the worst, you see the bad, you, you see what it says God's going to do, then you've got the righteous here saying, yep, that's what's going to happen. God said that's what's going to happen. That, that sense of vindication there of it may not be for you, you may not have done it, but you, you, we are vindicated through God's victory. With, with God showing that He is stronger, that, that shows that all children of His are the same. No matter what this world can do, you can't defeat it. You know, as, as uh, uh, David said in, uh, what psalm was it when he talked about uh, how the... The, the cities will rage against God to no avail. It's, it's useless. They think they can battle against God, but God will destroy them. And it's the same thing here, he's saying. God, here's this wicked person. God's going to pluck you up from your dwelling place. You think you're safe. You think you're there with Saul, and maybe he is in a palace or something. I don't know. He said, God's going God's to pluck you out of there. You, you think you're in this great position, but you're not going to be there for long. You know, God, when, when that cup of wrath is full, your time's over. And, and there's some sense of, of gratification and vindication in that as Christians to hang on. Yeah, the, yeah, the world is wicked. The world's going to do things. And, and it says here the righteous can learn and, and see and fear. What do we do? We, we see and fear to make sure we're not like that, that we shouldn't be like that, that we need to control our tongue. We need to control uh, what we're saying and understand what we're doing means something. And, and we, the righteous can understand and fear with that, but by the same token, we still get to see that the victory is His. So in that, we learn, okay, victory's going to be His. What side am I going to be on? I want to be on this side. I'm, that's what I fear. That's what I'm learning. That's what I'm seeing. I don't want to be on this side. And sometimes uh, uh, Satan's words and, and the wicked's words can, can sway us into thinking, okay, it might be better on this side. And it's showing us here that, no, it's not. Here's the end. The end may not be right now, but the end's coming. And we can be assured of that. Uh, but he trusted in his riches here. Notice what Paul said about this. 1 Timothy 6, beginning at verse 6. He said, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, it's certain that we've carried nothing out. And having food and clothing with with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now notice here. It says he trusted in the abundance of his riches. What did trusting his riches have to do with his wicked talk. What did it have to do with him going to Saul at that right time and telling him what happened between David and Amalek? What did, it, what did riches have anything to do with that? 
Yeah, he felt secured. I think he felt like he's he going to get some, some money out of it. He's going to get a higher position out of this. That's why I believe he waited to the right time to tell Saul. He didn't run to him right away. He waited for that right moment when he could look better than anybody else that was around Saul, and he thought he could profit from it. So what's this tell you? What was it about? It was about material things. It was about riches. It's about power, prestige. It's about these types of things. The root of all kinds of evil. So what was at the root of his maliciousness? What was at the root of his lying? Greed, money, riches. Trusting in the abundance of his riches. Um, I, I guess I heard probably three times this week uh, uh, that reference, uh, First Timothy reference, every single time it was referenced wrong. How do people usually reference it? Money is the root of all evil. I heard that three times this week at, at some different places, at the funeral home and once at the graveyard. But uh, three times I heard that, and I, all three times I was like, that's not what it says. It doesn't say money uh, uh, is the root of all, what, how is it says? Uh, I done forgot it backwards now. Yeah, the love of money. That's right, money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. That, that's where it belongs. And see, we, we get that. We just equate money with evil. It's not that. It, it's the love of it. it and, and what it basically is, notice it says it's the root of all kinds of evil. So what it telling, tells us is that that is the root. When I've trusted in that, the love of that, and not the love of God, then that's going to sprout up evil. It can't sprout up anything else because so, it's the root of it. It's the very beginning when we trust in something else besides God. And sometimes that's not easy to do, is it? I mean, do we love money? Do we love what money can do? Yeah. Do we love what it can do, what it can provide, uh, the power it might can show? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things that, that money can do, but it's like everything else. It's the abuse of it and the love of it that's the problem. It's not it itself. But that goes back to the root of the problem. So a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. If that's the root, if that's where we're at, then that's, that's where we're going to head. And that, it says here, is where it is. He said he trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his, rich, in his wickedness. So it comes from him. He don't trust in God. Um, and our final two verses. He says, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. Trust in, his mercy, trust in the mercies of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever because you have done it. And in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name for it is good. You know, when I read this, it, it almost made me think. So David's saying, I don't have any part in this. Look, you're wicked. Look how good I am here. And this is actually one of the places where David does this. Usually David don't trust in his own things. But he's saying here he's going to praise God. But I do, this is just a side note for me, I do find it interesting that even in this psalm, even though David does take some, some responsibility in 1 Samuel 22, I guess these last two verses I struggle with a little bit with David's true meaning of it. I know he's saying, I'm going to praise God and, and I'm trusting in you, but it's almost like, okay, here's what uh, Doeg is, but look over here to me. <laughs> I'm not like that. I don't think that's what David's doing, but it does kind of seem like. Anybody got any thoughts of that? I think that, you know, again, 
That's true. That's true. Oh, yeah. In which case, you know, he can kind of say these kind of things. It's difficult to think, well, that's kind of, that's kind of bragging almost. But on the other hand, you can say, well, he really believes that God's yeah. forgiven. I guess, I guess you touched on the right word there, trusting in the mercy of God. Uh, I guess that is saying more toward his, uh, he knows he needs to be forgiven and, and how he had to do. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah, and that's a good point. I appreciate that because you know, you uh, if we didn't know David, you know, through the other songs that we we've read and some other things we do, you know, and that's why you got to be careful. You know, you got to be careful on how you you read something and, and take the context of it because it can in your mind mean something that you don't think that it does. And I knew it didn't mean that David was bragging, but you can look at it and see that to me it, it can appear like that. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to say it. That's exactly right. You know, because he contrasted how Doag was, and then you see see this. It's just, it's an interesting story, and I, I, I encourage you to go back and read 1 Samuel uh, uh, 21 22 and, and all the surrounding things concerning it, because it, it was a pretty horrific event and a, 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 a staple event that the chain effects of it uh, extended far beyond just that event. Uh, but what surrounded that event uh, did put in place a lot of different things, and it is an interesting study. So I appreciate you listening.